Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode six for December 15th, 2021. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, by Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics. Hi, Julia. Hey, Jason. It's uh, good to hear your voice again after a couple of weeks. We go away and and you know and and live our lives for two weeks and then come back here and check in on what's going on in the world of streaming media. It's nice. Yeah, it's like a nice little reunion every two weeks. Every it's two like, weeks. Oh, yeah. Every week, you know, every week for every, I do a weekly podcast and like it's more of a thing than doing it every other week where it's sort of like you let let things happen and you just kind of like get to I get to scroll back through your Twitter timeline and see everything you've talked <laughs> about for the last. I see it in real time, but then on the day of the show, I go back and I'm like, okay, what are we going to actually talk about? And I look through your Twitter timeline. And I found something interesting, so we'll get to that. Um, but I've got some follow-up first. Listener Brett wrote in to say that one thing I don't think was mentioned during your CW discussion is that any series that premiered in 2019 or after will go to HBO Max rather mm-hmm. than Netflix. Some prominent examples are Batwoman and Superman and Lois. So we talked mm-hmm. about how curious it is that there's this uh, Viacom and Warner Media co-owned broadcast network in the U.S. and they've used... Uh, their deal with Netflix to get visibility for their shows, but it's the push and pull of, do we want this for our own thing or not? And Brett sent us this link that was very helpful to give background on this deal. Cause I didn't know all the details. The deal was struck in 2011, renewed in 2016. And the idea yeah. was that after the finale, they would add that show to Netflix. Um, that also helped. The theory was it would, and it does seem to have helped the CW where people find it on Netflix and then they seek out the next season when it starts airing on the CW Riverdale being a great example of that. My daughter experienced that. My daughter was not interested in linear TV at all. And then she binged Riverdale on Netflix and was like, Oh no, how, what do I do? And I'm like, you've got to watch it on TV now. <laughs> like, hate to break it to you, but there's television, there's like linear TV, old fashioned TV, and that's where it is. But the deal as, as the article that Brett sent in that I'll put in the show notes points out, um, they, in 2019, they did not renew this deal and Warner and Viacom agreed to put, uh, they were going to put it all on HBO max. Um, Bob Ackish, the head of CBS basically said, um, it makes sense to keep them all in one spot. Although this article says also they, you know, were happy to get paid by Warner media to put them somewhere else. Uh, anyway, right, the, the Viacom strategy pay us and we classic. were happy to give you it's this. Les Moonves uh, made a lot of money using that strategy. So uh, the new setup began with a fall 2019 series. So Nancy Drew and Kung Fu are HBO max instead of Netflix. Um, also the terms, according to this article, it's a five year exclusivity period after the final season debuts on Netflix. So if you're waiting to see when things are going to go off of Netflix and depart to HBO Max, uh, in 2024, it will be until then before you'll see the likes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Jane the Virgin, and iZombie. And then in 2025, Arrow, The 100, and Supernatural will go, or I guess it's The 100, they call it. And Supernatural, which lasted for 90,000 seasons, will be uh, off of Netflix, uh, unless they make a strike another deal, but presumably it'll move to HBO Max in 2025, and then it'll go from there. 
And Supernatural, I think, of all of them, Supernatural remains one of the most um, kind of watched weekly consumed shows on Netflix on average. People just come back to um, Supernatural. I think people have started it during the pandemic and are into it. I think people are returning to it because it's comfort television for them. Yeah. Um, it's picked up again on TikTok. Like, Supernatural is taking over TikTok again. So there's kind of this oh, new cultural zeitgeist moment with it with a bunch of young kids who never got into it when it was on. Um, and it makes me feel old saying that. Um, but yeah, and, and it's well, actually, this ties into what we're going to talk about later in the show, but this is exactly the strategy that Warner wants, which is if HBO, and we'll get into this later, but if HBO speaks to older and male tends to skew, it tends to skew that way. Having CW shows that tends to attract younger female, for the most part, with some younger male, uh, it's a good strategy to make your service kind of a four quadrant offering that everybody wants. Yeah. So we will, and we will wrap around to that because you had some interesting observations about how they're trying to sort of use, use HBO Max to balance the kind of content and appeal that traditional HBO shows have. We'll get to that in a little bit. I will mention Supernatural, by the way, 327 episodes that show ran. Crazy. So also, if you're, I mean, honestly, as we, we, we will, there's a letter about this we'll get to later, but we will never see the likes of a show like this again, I think. But it does say something about if you're Netflix and you've got people who just want to binge things, like serving them up 327 hours of TV yep. that they can just just immerse themselves in for a long amount of time, that's that's good stuff. Like that's a great show to have in the catalog because these shows that are like 30 episodes long, you know, blink and you miss it. But Supernatural, that's you could watch an episode of uh, Supernatural every day, and that's not a binge, I know, but like you get to into December with that is what I'm saying. And I think it's just fun, or at least funny to me, but I guess fun for uh, Mark Petowitz, who's the head of CW and, and the team over there, where the CW shows were always considered, um, and not because of the age when I'm using this term, but junior varsity to like television. Yeah. It was very much like those shows are not super great, but they always had audiences like Gossip Girl found its audience, One Tree Hill found its audience. They all they all found totally. them. Uh, and then, of course, Greg Berlanti comes in with his Arrowverse and all the DC shows. And now it's just funny because if they're trying to take their consumer attention away from TikTok or YouTube or Minecraft or whatever it is, all of a sudden the CW shows that have found their audience via Netflix have become this kind of core programming piece for a lot of streaming services. And so if you're Mark Pedowitz and who, again, is the head of CW, you're kind of like, what a moment for the junior varsity team getting their shot to like play in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter and show them what what we can do. Um, so congrats to them. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it also shows, I think there's a Hollywood dynamic happening there, right? Which is uh, these shows, they're like genre shows or they're targeted at teens and their budgets aren't very big. And it's not it's not anything that you would like consider prestige and i know that in hollywood there's some aspect of that which is like you're looked down upon if you're making that stuff and which is funny because in contrast people do appreciate people making a lot of money and 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 berlanti is making a lot of money right so a lot uh, of money so i mean push and pull of that but this is an example of like genre stuff and and stuff targeted at younger audiences being looked down upon and then you look at it and you say well wait a second that's the younger audience that we want to reach and they're the most voracious consumers of content and why are we looking down on them again right like it takes lots of different kinds of content it can't all be 
prestige TV with anti-heroes, right? It, it can't, <laughs> it can't, it can't, all can't all be Succession. It can't all yeah, be or Mad Men or family. Breaking Bad or you, yeah, you name it from the right. past or the present. It can't all be that stuff. Well, I think what the the Arrowverse, as uh, it's referred to, really yeah. proved too um, was they did this on a you know broadcast budget. Like they, they did. did it on a very small budget compared to shows like Falcon and Winter Soldier from Disney Plus that had twenty five million dollars an episode. You right. know, like like those like those you are at you're all automatically saying this looks like a feature film i'm gonna watch it it's getting feature film budget what the berlanti universe did was show like if we get the story right if we get the character right if we build it up in a really thoughtful way the budget i mean it's gonna look like it costs you know a million two million an episode three million episode but it's gonna play out really well and those shows remain extremely in demand and i think what hbo and warner media have seen or hbo max rather um, sorry to Casey Bloys that <laughs> HBO, uh, he does not like when we conflate the two. Uh, but what HBO Max and Warner Media have seen with the immersion of the DC content from um, DC Universe, right. with Titans, with Titans. Harley Quinn, those shows, mm-hmm. like there's so much demand for those series and they don't cost. Uh, they cost a fraction rather of what a bunch of the big Disney Plus Netflix superhero, right. you know, Amazon shows well, do. Berlanti, I, I watched a bunch of those shows, although I don't anymore. I gave up after a while because they frustrated me. But um, I think the brilliance of it, it was a combination of factors, right? I, boy, I could go down a rabbit hole on this. Uh, well, I'll try to keep it short. But one of it was, tech, you know, VFX technology advanced to the point where you could think about doing a superhero show on a TV budget and have it right. actually work in a way that was not really possible. If I was a kid in my uh, wearing my uh, pajamas, wearing my uh, uh, Spider-Man underoos when they in the 70s and 80s when they tried to do live action shows like like spider-man and it was terrible it was just terrible because you couldn't you couldn't really show superheroes doing super stuff well vfx technology has made that a lot more possible and then they also made the candy decision to start small like how marvel did on in in the movies with iron man with a character that people didn't really care about they they used Mm -hmm. arrow the green arrow and they chose a archery guy who is not gonna leap a tall building in a single bound so the amount of superhero-ness was low and they showed you could do it and also comic books have always been soap opera-y so having it be about characters and feelings with a little bit of action is actually um actually a better adaptation i would argue than some of the stuff we see on the big screen where it's it's more action so once he had the proof of concept then he got a little more money and they they bit off something a little bit uh, uh, tougher to chew, which was the Flash, because you have to show super speed and things, and 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 it's expanded from there. And they finally went to Supergirl, and they're like, "All right, we're going to show people flying. We're going to do it now, right?" But like, it was very carefully rolled out and incredibly successful. And it showed that not everything needs to be at the level of a Marvel movie. And I think it's a, a fa- fascinating contrast in Marvel being so successful at movies and the DC properties being so successful on the CW and like they're totally they're the same and yet totally different approaches that were both successful in their own way it's fascinating exactly and well I can't I can't top that you know Jason I'm going to try to I think that (laughs) was perfectly said all right okay yeah I mean I I have a lot of admiration even though I gave up on the flash because it was ridiculous uh, I have I have a lot of admiration the first season's great uh, for Greg Berlanti and what he's done and I think it's interesting that they are trying to replicate some of that on HBO Max with more money and and fewer constraints in terms of the content and will remains to be seen if those will have the appeal that the CW shows had because they may be they may have lost the 
the the magic by by getting more money and and fewer constraints and being able to swear and show more violence they may actually have lost a little of the berlanti magic but it remains to be seen and, and titans the appeal of titans to people uh which was a show that was completely lost when it was on dc comics streaming service but it's now on hbo max or doom patrol like um, which is great, great yeah se- so both are great series so it's really interesting to look at, at at making that transition to hbo max for that stuff you know, the, the only question I have is uh, I, I love to lurk in the um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. subreddit. Um, and part of the reason I love to lurk is because they feel like there's kind of this um, internal war between fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that era of Marvel, kind of the Jeff Loeb who used to oversee Marvel, Marvel Television, that era of Marvel, and um, the new Disney Plus MCU TV shows that are overseen by Kevin Feige that tie into the movies. Um, and we're about to see with with, war, with Warner Brothers – HBO Max, we're about to see much more of that. We're going to have a Penguin show. You're going to have a Gotham City Police Department show that all stem from the Batman. You know, you're going to have all these things happening. And I wonder if, if as the stuff moves over to HBO Max, if you have the original Berlanti fans saying like, man, remember when? It, remember how it used to be? Remember what it was yeah. like back in the day? Yep. It's funny how it, how it goes like that. Um, I had a really quick note before we move on to our main topic, um, which believe it or not was not the Arrowverse, which is where we ended up, um, which was you noted that Netflix launched a blog because uh, blogs are are they cool again or what's going on? Are they? It's essentially it's like it's a marketing site, but it's got like articles and stuff on it. So I wanted to mention it. It is Netflix.com slash to them. Uh, which is supposed to be like automatopoeia for uh, the sound of the Netflix thing. T-U-D-U-M. Uh, is this interesting? I think it's interesting in the sense that Netflix wants to do PR without looking like Netflix is doing PR, right? Like this is the smartest thing that team did. It's a very good uh, content and publishing team over at Netflix. And they took a bunch of really great editors and reporters. And they said, in fact, I don't know if this is true on this end, but that's what I imagine. Um, because I know a lot of journalists who have jumped over to tech or in entertainment. Um, they said, we like what you do. We're going to give you more freedom. We're going to take you out of the kind of daily grind of, of a lot of um, blog sites that have that going for them. Um, we're going to pay you a lot of money. Um, and we want you to take those talents and bring them here and kind of do that for us. And Netflix in particular has this um, feel about it that they want to celebrate everything they do in a very kind of authentic, um, cool way. You know, they launched the Netflix shop, which is kind of their idea of merchandise, but more top level. It's kind of like what A24 does with its shop. I mean, all of a sudden they launched this blog. And the idea is that it will help rec- recommend shows that will keep people up to date with what's going on with their favorite movies or TV shows. And um, so it's interesting to look at and think like this is what would have appeared on a pitch deck for a digital media company circa 2013. Uh, like this is what digital media was. It's like rankings. It is like travel blogs. It's all these, you know, casting announcements. Um, the question about whether if they lean into that authenticity is, you know, does does Netflix.com slash to them, does, does that, do they report cancellations? Like, do they report on all the other stuff they don't want people to see? And more importantly, I had this conversation with a bunch of friends who are in media and they say, you know, what do you think this means competition wise? And I was like, they're not going to give their exclusives to Tadum.com for the most part. The big ones are going to go to The Hollywood Reporter, to Variety, to Good Morning America. They still want people to see them, their, those announcements. What this is is basically their version of saying, we want to connect with you. We want you to feel like you're along with us for the ride. Um, I don't think it's a piece of big news. I do think it's funny. I think it's like a very funny thing to launch a blog in, in 2021 to make it feel like a 2013 
entity. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I know a lot of people on that team um, and they are doing some very cool work. And if it pays off for them and that it helps people stick around and watch more content, which is always the end goal, congratulations to Netflix. And if not, then like many other blogs, it just simply will go away. Yeah, exactly. I, this is I think this is sort of state of the art um, uh, corporate marketing now is you want to yeah. be more conversational and you really you literally especially as journalism is kind of falling apart everywhere you you can create this impression of journalism that is can be artfully done but make no mistake it's marketing in fact i know that there are people out there who would say so much of entertainment journalism is marketing uh anyway it, it's sort of like the, the the journalists are essentially doing the work of the marketing for the uh for the entertainment companies under the guise of being independent and so why not eliminate uh, all doubt and make your own thing, but I think that I think that there's a this in tech journalism it's the same thing, right? And Apple recently, yeah. as somebody who covers Apple, uh, they revamped their newsroom and they started posting these. In addition to press releases, they have like feature stories, and they're it's the same sort of thing, right? It's like it's fun, it's content, and you know maybe. As long as you know that it's coming from the source, like it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not fun content, uh, but it, it definitely seems to be of the moment that this is what big companies are doing in terms of their their PR and marketing is trying to like crank it up a level and have it be, you know, not why do a dry press release when you can have a video and a feature story with exclusive photography because you made it and you can control access. So Well, and I think what a lot of people didn't realize, which is no one's fault, uh, but is that Netflix has a magazine right like they have a thing called netflix q and and they have a, a magazine that they put out it's free they like send it to people you can sign up for it um and it's kind of a big coffee table type thing it's not like a weekly or monthly magazine um and what they do is they highlight a lot of their original films or, or mostly it's film and they kind of put this out and it's really glossy and beautiful and, and well done and it kind of feels like interview magazine uh, meets nylon in a lot of ways um and what they do is they hire freelancers like actual freelancers who want to go and write for Netflix about Netflix stuff and they give them full access. And the reason I brought that up is because I'm thinking about the reaction and more, you know, um, I think contextually accurate, the backlash to the New Yorker profile of Jeremy Strong, who's the star of Succession, right. which was a very great, actually glowing profile of him as a, as a serious actor. I mean, all these other actors jump to defend him, you know, Anne Hathaway jumps to defend him and, and director Adam McKay jumps to defend him. And it's Jessica Chastain jumps to defend him. And it's like this moment of realizing, oh, yeah, we've had so much access to entertainment journalism that real good, really good profiles. Um, people don't know how to deal with that. And so if you're Netflix, if you don't want to have backlash to a Jeremy Strong thing, right, or whoever you're working with, you're going to put out your own version. You're going to put out like, hey, this is it. You're still going to get some somewhat decently insightful quotes. Um, people, fans are still going to want to talk about it, which is who they're trying to reach. They're trying to reach fans. Um, and if that, again, like their end goal always with any marketing players, as you know, is to get them to watch more content, to keep paying. And if it manages to do that, then it's worth the investment they're going to put into it. All right. Um, let's move on and talk about a story that I think is a, it's a funny way into this story, given that we're trying to talk about the future of media in the 21st century. And yet I'm going to start here because I think that this, it, the contrast here is at the heart of the conversation. So Chris Wallace, a 74-year-old TV news anchor on the number one cable news channel, Fox News, has left Fox News to sign with not CNN, no, 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 CNN Plus, the forthcoming streaming service 
from CNN, which, by the way, is owned by Warner Media, which will soon be bought by Discovery if that is approved in 2022. And so on, we had this just amazing contrast between old media. Chris Wallace, by the way, son of Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes. So like this is these are the people that you've known if you're an old person for a long time. And then CNN Plus, brand new thing, doesn't even exist yet, coming next year. So this is fascinating to me, and I wanted to talk about it with you because th- there's a lot going on here. Number number one is the existence of CNN Plus. Can we talk <laughs> about that for a minute? Because you know, there, I have questions about like what the appetite is for live news, especially twenty four hour live news. That concept versus kind of breaking. Uh, news where breaking news, obviously, TV news can be very good when there's something happening right now. But a lot of times, nothing is happening, and that's not great. But like in a streaming world, what is that? What does a news streaming service look like? Is it linear and on demand? And also, why does CNN? Why is CNN building a parallel CNN, like the government in exile version of CNN <laughs> called CNN Plus, and and hiring talent like Chris Wallace to not be on CNN? What is going on here? This is maybe one of my favorite stories, in part, I think, because I came from journalism and now work as uh, an analyst who specifically studies kind of (laughs) the ship to streaming. And so all of this kind of, um, uh, you know, tickled my fancy, or for lack of a better phrase. Um, So the first thing is, what is CNN Plus? And so for anyone thinking going, oh, it's a way that I can pay for CNN as a cord cutter, (laughs) you would be wrong. (laughs) You would be wrong. So CNN Plus can't lift from CNN for a variety of legal reasons, but also so their advertisers would be very upset if all of a sudden Anderson Cooper or um, whoever replaces Chris Cuomo, right. Don Lemon, were suddenly available for you know five bucks, eight bucks a month, whatever it might be, on the streaming service. That's likely going to be have an ad free component. You're an advertiser. There may be ads on the linear version. I mean, right. it's entirely possible, but it's not just the advertisers, right? It's also that. Right. The, the cable companies, CNN, yes. for people who don't know how cable works, and this is ESPN's the most expensive version of this, but CNN is part of this too, and Fox News and every cable channel. Like, er, whether you watch it or not, a portion of your cable bill goes to CNN for being on the cable tier that you're on, which is a lot of money. And I'm sure that those agreements do not allow them to go right. what they call over the top. Like what, um, like what they did with HBO now back in the day, right? For a basic cable thing, right. the money coming in. Same reason that ESPN Plus does not contain any ESPN content, unless uh, basically unless you're a cable subscriber, because it's walled off. So they they can't use CNN to be the basis of streaming, but they don't want to let streaming go by. So they've created another CNN. <laughs> Yeah, and so and so this is the other thing. So you kind of go, cool. I'm not going to get my live CNN. All right, do I just get? Is it 24 hour news service? What's the idea? Am I paying five bucks for news in this age of tweets and push notifications? Right. Um, no, no, because CNN Plus is, does not exist to cannibalize CNN's audience. Like the goal is not to be like we're going to move 100 percent of this audience that is paying for cable uh, over to this much you know kind of cheaper streaming service. The goal is to create what um, I used to kind of be referred to as like 
almost travel, like lighthearted entertainment. But now um, I always call it as um, infotainment. And so that is like, if we think about Anthony Bourdain's show, if we think about Stanley Tucci, so CNN's right. original Stanley Tucci goes to Italy, does some cooking, learns about the it's land. all that stuff that CNN runs, like documentaries and right. cooking shows and stuff like that, that they run on weekend in prime time, kind of when there's nothing going on. Now, the advantage to this type of entertainment, and I'm wording this carefully, is that this type of entertainment tends to have a, a pretty good demand within, and here's why I'm saying my wording, within a bigger streaming offering. Yes. So if you have an HBO Max and you have Stanley Tucci there, people are likely going to watch it. Like he's a well-known actor. He's charming. Also, the show seems great. No, is someone going to pay $5 to just watch Stanley Tucci, to watch some news anchors talk about news of the day, to do all this stuff? My bet is no. And... And my bet is that is exactly why NBC Universal um, and 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 ABC and all of them and Viacom CBS have decided to not launch news streaming services, but to roll their news into Peacock and Paramount Plus and yes. Hulu. Yes, exactly. I was gonna say the answer is no. I just it doesn't make look CNN as a cord cutter product makes sense to me like i could see that i could see that they yeah. have their shows every day and then you don't you by this measure you can watch it live or you can just watch the uh as soon as it's off live it's on demand and so now you're just streaming it and maybe the, and there's no ad level and you can see that but it's hard to see this outside of hbo max or discovery plus or some combination thereof next year um right i, I do think that there will be a linear content because live is a thing right and yes. i and and but you're right. It, it, you can get live news now in Paramount Plus. It's in Paramount Plus. It's not like CBS News Plus streaming service. It's just in Paramount Plus. And and so, uh, yeah, it is. It, it's a little bit baffling for me. I understand why they're doing it because they can't just lift CNN and put it over the top. But I also look at this and I think, you know, is is this? Look, we all would love more money coming in, right? If we were running a company, it's like, let's do five different streaming services, each for $10 a month, and we'll make so much money. But the truth is, you won't, because people don't want a streaming service that's that isolated. And so I, I, right. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but I also get that they can't throw CNN on streaming, because they can't. They, they literally can't. And so they're stuck with, like, well, what is our strategy for the CNN brand? And do you think that this survives the Discovery taking over? Do you think uh, famously, so Discovery's taking over Warner Media, and they've already there are reports about how the people who run Discovery, um, David Zaslav uh, is the head of that, who have said that they're not really happy with CNN and that CNN sort of done the MSNBC model and the Fox News model of having more kind of opinion hosts in prime time, and he wants it to be more straight news, which I always think is just a, a thing that people say until they realize the ratings go up when you do opinion and down when you do straight news. But let's give him this. Let's give him his moment. Um, do you think that this this strategy really survives uh, the the Discovery Plus takeover? I, well, I think the first part that I always think that I think about a lot with CNN Plus is that it's better to compare it to a lot of the niche streaming services that focus hyper specifically on kind of educational and, and informational okay. um, documentaries. So Curiosity Stream, for example, carries um, documentaries about science and history. Right. Um, now, the difference, though, is that if you're a niche streaming service, you know you're going to have a relatively um, low subscriber base compared to the big guys, but you also – that means your overhead is much smaller. So if you're betting or, or, and, you're, and you're acquiring these documentaries that specifically speak to this audience that's you know maybe 1 million, 2 million, 3 million people – 
then you don't have to spend $15 million on content. You're spending much less um, and you're feeding this kind of niche interest. CNN Plus, like that type of entertainment, they, they, they're not propositioning themselves as a, a, um, a, a niche service. They're propositioning themselves as like a go-to news product that carries informational and entertaining programming. My bet is that as they merge with Discovery, what will happen is as the content budgets all kind of come into and they're figuring out what teams, what's allocated to what team, is that things that might have gone on Discovery Plus, they might move to uh, CNN Plus and they go, okay, you guys take this documentary series that we're looking at. We think this is going to be a great thing to bring subscribers in. And then once they're there, we're going to really lean on um, the strengths of CNN as as a company, which is finding good talent, doing really good news analysis doing all that stuff. But what I do think with the discovery acquisition is that they have to start figuring out if they're not going to do a bundle, which I assume they will, they are going to have to figure out, well, what's a CNN plus title versus a discovery title? What what is the difference? Does one speak to current events? Does one speak to the influence of something on a massive industry? And, And is the other one just kind of more lifestyle entertainment? Those are questions that I am nearly positive are happening that they are trying to figure out. So they're saying, hey, we don't want, we, we're, we're competing with our, you know, t- uh, colleagues to acquire documentary. Um, and I think the, that if they become a home for really, really interesting, captivating, award-nominated documentaries and docu-series, they might have an audience where they go and people are happy to pay what they're paying and they're getting that entertainment. I just think if HBO Max hits a point, which they haven't yet, but if they hit a point where they're per- they're stalling earlier than they needed to stall or than they should be allowed to stall in growth, like those are the type of series that would do well as retention drivers on yeah. HBO Max and Discovery Plus. And so it'll be interesting to see what they are looking at. But I imagine their bet is that there will be enough kind of high profile or high interest or high demand, as we call it, um, documentary series led by in-demand talent to bring enough people into CNN Plus that they are then going to just back the, – they're just going to have to have a, a ton of really great news programming to keep their interest. Yeah. Leaning on news does not make sense uh, in 2021. Like no one is paying for news. You know, for a long time, everyone thought – you were talking about cable earlier, Jason. Everyone thought people were paying for cable because of sports and news, and it became re- increasingly more clear – that people were paying for sports. You know, CNN was kind of an added benefit. Fox is one of the only, you know, quote unquote news networks that has this kind of relatively stable audience base. Um, But even then, like they're looking at doing streaming and bringing some of that audience over. And so if you know that you're losing out on your cable, you're trying to figure out what you do next, having this moment to build up on informational and educational and entertaining documentary series while you're figuring out your next news play um, and how you lean into that world for a kind of 2022, 2023 audience um, is not a bad bet. Uh, It's just whether or not that works. It's going to need time. And I don't know under Discovery if they're going to be given the time to do that. But I mean, Zaslav, who's the CEO, David Zaslav, who's the CEO of Discovery, is a very big supporter of Jeff Zucker, who oversees CNN. Um, and so they might have the 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 room to figure it you, out. You got to you got to think that they are already conspiring about how they're going to do this. I just I look at this. So okay, the press release announcing CNN Plus said that it will complement the core CNN linear networks and digital platforms to serve CNN super fans, news junkies, and fans of quality nonfiction programming. Well, I'm just going to say it. I think this is a load of BS. Um, I I think that if this is if this is what they really believe, I think they're in deep deep trouble. And I cannot see this working as a standalone service unless they literally just aggressively, aggressively bundle it with Discovery Plus 
and or HBO Max, because I could sort of see like, well, we're going to call it a separate service and you can get it separately. But really, everybody's just going to buy the bundle of Discovery and CNN together and they're going to get nature documentaries and science documentaries and all sorts, all that Discovery stuff. And they'll have some linear live news if they care, if there's something breaking and that whole CNN lifestyle nonfiction kind of uh, catalog. I could sort of see that there's a counter argument that at that point you should just put it in what is now discovery plus and 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 walk away but you know that's that's a detail i just i i cuz i think in the end what you really want is you want that catalog of stuff and you want the access as a as a recent cord cutter and you want the access to a linear news channel for when news breaks cuz my um my fubo tv subscription does not have cnn in it and right. you know but it does have a couple of news channels in it um and so and I have Paramount Plus, which has the CBS News Channel and and Peacock, right? Like, there are ways for me to get the news, and I wouldn't not want to have that. So I do think there's some value in that, but I don't know. I'm really skeptical of the idea that this is a uh, just designed for CNN superfans, right? Like, that is how many of them are there and how old are they? Well, and I also think I also think there's this, there's this interesting thing happening where we can – kind of get insight into the strategic mindset of a lot of these decisions based on what, um, I guess, networks, what channels, what, whatever you want to call them, genres, companies, or conglomerates decide to spin off into their own streaming services and then bundle versus fold in. And so a great example is Viacom CBS kept Showtime separate as it would, you know, break premium cable, have the OTT version had BET Plus, kind of kept that going, has its own specific audience, rolled Nickelodeon, which at the time had a version of OTT that was tied into Amazon, rolled that into um, uh, Paramount Plus. And they were like, this is going to be a foundational basis of what our offering is. This is going to be here. Um, And then I imagine they will eventually come to some kind of bundle. And so Disney does this thing where Disney goes, we're going to have our five main franchises, six main franchises on Disney Plus. Hulu is Hulu. ESPN Plus is ESPN Plus. But they all need to support one another to make the bundle work, or at least 66% of it does. And so if I'm Discovery and Warner and I'm thinking about what my streaming bundle looks like, does CNN Plus become this version of kind of ESPN Plus where it fits in enough that it gives people who – we're trying to promote with the bundle, gives them a reason to keep the bundle going. Like I know that Disney is all focused on the bundle and getting that bundle sold more than like any individual streaming service. And if you're Warner and Discovery and, or Disco Bro or whatever they're going to call themselves, uh, you know, I think at, at that uh, – or I think they do have a name. I just forgot it. I think it's like – but anyways, um, uh, but – it comes to that point where you're like, okay, we have Discovery Plus, we have HBO Max, we have um, uh, CNN Plus, we have all these things happening. What do we consolidate into one that acts as a foundational base while we're trying to really grow our scale? Um, and what works as a bundle offering where we can increase our numbers a little bit, we can increase our, our revenue, um, but it, it acts as a standalone thing. And it, CNN Plus, again, under Zucker and with Zaslav's relationship with him, they might be given the time to figure that out. So I think it's going to need two to three years to figure out if they can find that audience. But who knows? And, and maybe that's, I mean, the, the bundling is the, that's the secret, right? The secret sauce in terms of marketing these things sometimes is if you've got a service that's not really going to move people at full price, but you can stick a couple of them together and cut some money off of it. And now you're effectively like, well, 
it's an upsell. You know, yes, you can buy CNN Plus as a standalone if you are a, a, a news enthusiast, I guess, whatever that is. But more likely you're going to get it with Discovery as an add-in or with HBO Max as an add-in or with all three together for free as a throw-in. And that's and that's fine. And that, that may be where they end up, where the, the future of, yes, everybody, the future of streaming is bundles. Just what you were trying to avoid, they're back. Uh, but that, that might make Do sense. Do you know, I... I read uh, a quote from um, an executive who will not be named, um, who was kind of expressing this idea of if you combine news and sports and general entertainment, um, you get this, you give consumers an offering that they can't refuse. And at no, at not one point did they say the word cable and everyone was like, you're, you're talking about cable. You're talking about a cable offering. Like this yeah. is what it's been. So, and so it's a big bundle of content all rolled together. Exactly. But I think we're, we are going to get back there. If you think about the Disney bundle, right? You get your premium yeah. entertainment uh, from Disney Plus, Hulu's your, your all around general entertainment and news. And then you've got ESPN Plus for sports. <laughs> like, it's totally true. It, Although yeah. I will say, I mean, I think the challenge here is um, at some point you have to give, they're, they're going to have to renegotiate. I know this is tangential, but all of these companies that have all of this money coming in from cable, and even as cable s- subscriptions right. decline right. and the money goes down, and there, and we talked about this when we talked about regional sports networks too. At some point, you have to cut over. You have to say, I can't, I can't just stay on the sinking ship because as an ESPN Plus subscriber, because I have the bundle, the Disney bundle, um, you know, they don't have all the stuff that's on ESPN. They don't have it. All of those sports are un available unless you have uh, either basically cable satellite or an over-the-top streaming service that replicates cable or satellite. At some point, ESPN is going to need to take those things and also just give them to streaming subscribers because at some point they're going to realize they are losing audience that is going to forego that content rather than continue having one of those subscriptions. And I don't know what that cutover is. And, you know, maybe you want to be too late rather than too early if you're worried about giving up the money. Um, Or you can be bold and say, we're going to take a hit for a few years, but it's going to be worth it in the end to eliminate the middleman. I don't know. But like, this is the challenge for them, for Disney with ESPN. It's a challenge for Discovery and Warner, by the way, their name is Warner Brothers Discovery. That's going to be their name. I wonder what they discovered. That's it. The Warner Brothers. They discovered something. Warner Brothers Discovery. (laughs) Uh, They're going to have to figure it out with CNN. Anybody who makes lots and lots of money on linear TV kickbacks from cable companies at some point is going to have to realize they've got to not necessarily abandon ship, but they're going to have to renegotiate and take less money from cable in order to um, open up the possibility of reselling that thing themselves, like HBO did with HBO Now. And Warner Media also um, um, owns TNT, right? Like, like there's yeah. a lot. That, and yeah, and the thing a, that they always try to they get have a whole sports is... offering that's sort of like on cable channels and Bleacher Report and all of that. But that probably should be a thing at some point for streaming, too, because they've got especially the NBA, but they've got baseball and they've got some other stuff, too, that it's just kind of like floating around on cable channels. Yeah. And like this is a conversation that they are going, they, they are having, they have been having. And to your exact point, Jason, they can't walk away from 
from that money. Like that, they're still yeah. serving a sizable amount of the United States um, and beyond. You know, Discovery is a global, uh, very global brand, and so you can't just say, "Well, we're not going to put content here." And you've got teams who are trying to make their cable offerings or their network offerings work on cable, um, and you've got advertisers, right? Like HBO could kind of do their thing because although they were part of a cable bundle, they were a buy-on, uh, but and they also had no, they had no ads, and so they were like, "Oh, we're just going to go to our thing. We're just moving subscribers over." That's the key difference, right? Is that is that it was, HBO was an add-on, and so they were already having to sell people on giving them money specifically for HBO, and that's the, when you when you say because there's a logical kind of argument to be made here, which is well, you just go back to the cable companies and you renegotiate the deal, and then you sell direct, and the people you lose over here, you'll gain back over here. The problem is that most, and this is nobody wants to talk about it, but this is how cable bundles work. Most of the money made by cable channels is made by people who from people who do not watch that channel, right? Because right. you watch two channels or five channels, but you're paying for all of those channels. And so is everybody else. And it kind of it's like our taxes. The, our government does things, spends money on things that we don't like. And no matter who you are and what you believe, there's something the government spends money on that you don't like. But everybody pays taxes, more or less. And uh, and the government spends the money. Well, the problem is if you're if you're CNN or ESPN or, or anybody else, it's like, oh, I really like that money from people who don't that I didn't have to sell my product to. I just get the money, and it's just that is a way scarier calculation to say. Let's cut that in half, and we'll make it up by selling it direct. It's like, is that going to work? Eh, probably not. And yeah. nor do you want to say, let's just take all of our channels premium on cable like HBO. And now if you want to keep them, you have to pay an extra $10 in the cable bill for the Turner channels, right? Basically, TBS, TNT, CNN. Like, uh, is that going to work? Probably not. So I don't know. It's it, they. I get that this is a really hard decision. And that's why CNN Plus fascinates me, because it's a sign of smart people who've got existing products making a product that kind of doesn't make sense. And yet, you kind of have to do it, but it still doesn't really make sense. And you can't turn your back on the money, even though you know it's the past and it's going to go away because it's money and you got to take it. It's fascinating. Just fascinating. Cable in general is like one of the most fascinating conversations. I was thinking about all the carriage disputes, which is a fun word that just means like blackouts and like the whenever you can't watch something because companies are fighting. Um, and it's just – one of those ongoing things where we don't talk about cable because to your point at the very, you know, a, a few a few minutes ago, we are focused on the on the future of entertainment, but cable is still this staple especially in the United States. Um and when it when something happens to it, when something happens within it, people talk about it. it it impacts a lot of consumers and so i think when we talk about cable it is still very much the present and the near future of of television and it's every company is going to take the next 3 to 4 years to figure out how to really move things over and what doesn't move over what gets left behind and and where do the leagues come in and where do all the other uh pieces of the puzzle come in and it's going to be very complicated for for a little bit but we'll notice these pieces moving slowly and then eventually a clearer picture will start to form well, we'll watch it. We're going to keep our eyes on it. It's fascinating watching how you wind something down. I guess this is technically the innovator's dilemma kind of thing where, you know, you end up with this stream yes. and, you know, it's old and you want to change. But, oh, the money's so sweet. I can't change. And then you're stuck. So we'll see how, how uh, Warner Brothers Discovery ends up handling all of this in the new year. Um, one more topic for this year for us. Uh, you tweeted about this and I thought it was really great. It was a thread about how HBO Max programming and, and your analysis of demand 
is countering the skew of HBO programming. The idea that HBO Max originals maybe are catering toward younger audiences and more female audiences and HBO traditional audiences are older and more male. And if you if you use HBO over here and you use HBO Max content over here, you end up with something that's more like the, you know, what everybody wants, which is the four quadrant service. There's something for everybody. Everybody likes it. But I just was fascinated that you put up your demand chart and listed off sort of the young and female shows, the DC suite of shows, and how, you know, you put them together and you get, you know, HBO and anti-HBO and you get like uh, potentially this magic collection of content that kind of works for everybody. So this is my ongoing favorite like thing to think about is because I think it's really funny. There was an interview um, with Casey Bloys, again, who's the head of HBO, and, and he kept reiterating like HBO and HBO Max are not the same thing, which has always been the case at HBO. HBO has moved homes many times. Um, they're kind of like a foster child who's like constantly trying to find a home. Uh, and then they they always get moved around. Um and so they were very keen on keeping HBO HBO. Um, and if you ask any other of the Warner Media executives, the answer is no, HBO is HBO Max and HBO Max is HBO. It's all simpatico. And what they realized when they were trying to create HBO Max, which again is trying to be a four quadrant service, and that hits all the the different um, um consumer areas so they can have a they can scale as fast as they as they need to, um, was that HBO is, as you were just saying, predominantly male and skews older. For the most part, there are some exceptions um, like Euphoria, which is new and was in part ordered because it felt like it was an HBO brand show, but much younger, much more female focused. So what they decided to do is invest heavily in shows that were marketing toward or might be of interest to young female viewers. So you get shows like the um, Sex Lives of College Girls. You get shows like Gossip Girl, like the reboot. You get all these different types of shows, Harley Quinn and and, and Doom Patrol and uh, uh, Titans has a bit of a female audience as well. And it's working. So the chart that I put up is this kind of demand showing that it's they're right up there with HBO shows in terms of demand and what they're seeing. And they're seeing huge growth in demand in that sector. And so what I think was really interesting about this is that it ties in really well to what's happening with FX and Hulu, where FX under John Landgraf has the similar kind of feeling. Like, we want to be FX. We're very proud of our brand. Our brand carries a lot of weight to it. And on Hulu, it felt like, you know, are we just being thrown into this other streaming service, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what Hulu, sorry, what FX has done is actually increased the demand for Hulu originals too. Like as FX content has come in and found an audience for Hulu subscribers, the amount of people watching Hulu uh, Hulu originals has also seemingly gone up uh, just in terms of, of demand data. And these... The way that these are are working with each other, I think, is a fascinating look at what these streaming services might look like going forward. And it's the way I like to think about it is like, what does this mean for what we can expect from future programming decisions? You know, HBO continues to do its own thing, but HBO Max is kind of counter programming to that. FX is its own thing. Hulu is kind of counter programming towards that. What do you make um, and, of and so, just stop hmm. me for a second? What do you make of the fact that they announced that they're going to get rid of the whole FX on Hulu? branding and they're just gonna like we don't because i would watch an fx on hulu show and it would be like how many different labels can you attach to this content it's just a tv show but they're like no it's fx and it's fx on hulu and it's hulu original like please stop and now they're just gonna they're not gonna do fx on hulu as a concept is gone it's just like there are fx content on hulu that's it I think it is. Um, and no, please always cut me off. I ramble. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a podcast. It's great it's for a podcasting. Good, yes, it's a good yeah. trait to have for podcasting. 
<laughs> um, uh, my take on it is that it's a lot of ego needing uh, love. Like it's a lot of like I oversee this thing and I want it to be that we're not FX on Hulu. It's not like we're downgrading our originals because they're Hulu originals, yeah. which was the assumption. Yeah. John Landgraf it, at Hulu. FX is like – Look, FX should be enough. And somebody at Hulu is like, "No, no, it's also Hulu. We must co- we must co-brand everything." And they're like, "Let's not. Let's let's not do that." And and the thing is, like, John Langraff is easily one of the smartest men, uh, smartest people in in Hollywood. Um, and he had this quote a while back where he's like, "Look, F- if you like FX and you're coming to Hulu, FX, that's great. And if you like Hulu and you're coming to Hulu for Hulu original, that's great. And what really matters is the bottom line. Every one of your needs is kind of met." And I think about this a lot where they, you know, Casey Bloys gets really kind of uptight uh, about, I'm sure I've never met Casey, I'm sure he's great, but Casey gets kind of uptight about like HBO's HBO. And I get that he's protecting his brand and his team. I absolutely get that. Uh, At the same time, consumers like don't care. They don't care about what is HBO, what is HBO Max. They like good content. And so I think I watched, um, I think a perfect example actually is the new Sex and the City show which I think is called in just like that. Uh, and that show is an HBO Max original. And for listeners of the show who I know are very inclined into television history, you'll remember Sex and the City as a show that helped launch HBO original programming. But now it's not HBO, it's HBO Max because it feels much bigger. It's a different team. It's not under the HBO kind of side of things. I'm going to ask you this question, Jason. Do you think anyone cares? <laughs> I think people care in the sense that there are a lot of there are probably a lot of people who love Sex in the City who are still playing, paying for HBO on cable and are frustrated that they have to do something else and get something else in order to see right. the Sex in the City revival. I guess that would be my right. my thought is like, first off, you were exactly right. I think there is this territorial thing, and it does come up. It's like, no, no, that's not HBO. It's HBO Max. Even though so many things on HBO Max do feel like they are uh, HBO shows. And that's why I always liked the idea of FX on Hulu branding aside, is that it was essentially saying, hey, John Landgraf, you don't have enough room for all the shows you want to make. Here's more money. Make the extra shows, and we'll just put them on Hulu. Like, that That makes sense. So I, you can look at HBO Max and say... Is that what HBO Max is? Is is in part is let's just do more HBO and we'll put some of it on HBO Max. But they they're sort of like no, it's not that. And as you pointed out, it, it isn't quite that. The target is a little different. But I do look at it sometimes and think you've got HBO linear, you have seven days a week to program, and you withhold streaming shows, and don't put them on the HBO linear channel on cable presumably to force your crusty old HBO subscribers on cable to sign up for HBO Max um, in order to see the shows that they want to see. It's not even as much about the money. Do HBO pay? I think paid HBO customers on on cable get HBO Max. I think they get it for free, right? Yeah, you get so it for it's, free. It, yeah. It's you not about the money at all. It's in. about getting people in an app, getting people a login, getting them to try this world of streaming and I get it. Like, it's a good carrot for them. And yet there's part of me that's like, you know, and that's just like that, it should be on HBO. Even if it premieres on Max, they should run it on HBO. They should run The Flight Attendant on HBO. They should run Hacks on HBO. They've got other days. They've got other time slots. And somebody may stumble across it on Linear 
and fall in love with it and then discover it's all available on streaming. So why why separate them if you've got two different platforms with two different audiences? Well, well this I mean, but this is like this is like the the ego, yeah. right? This is Casey and well, not just Casey. I keep saying his name because he's the head of HBO, but it's the HBO team saying this is not HBO. Like he in it's this not article, uh, it was. It's uh, also not uh, HBO. Like, it's HBO Max. We, we can put it. Yeah, no, that's literally what, and like we can put this in the show notes, but the interview with Joe Adelian over at Vulture, Joe multiple times is like, who cares? Like, like people are watching the show, Sex and Cities, you know, HBO, they know it's HBO. This has the, it's the, it's the same characters. Like, why does it matter if it's HBO Max? And, you know, the head of HBO just keeps saying, well, it's bigger than HBO. It's its own thing. It's doing, you know, we are very, we're HBO. And so you get into this territory where everyone's trying to protect their own brand because everything is consolidating so fast. They don't they they have their team they need to protect. They have their identity they need to protect because they don't know where they're going to end up next. And so they're trying to figure stuff out. And it means that a lot of consumers either don't get to watch it, to your point, because they don't have streaming, or they don't care. I asked my mom, it was HBO Max. I said, did you watch Sex and the City? And she goes, yeah, I'm so happy. It's one, it's my favorite HBO show. I'm so happy they have a new sequel. I was like, well, it's actually HBO Max, mom. Ah. It's not HBO. And she said, I don't I don't know what that, like, I don't care. And I was like, that's the thing, because it's in one place. No one cares. Like, it's like, I'm going to watch this show yeah. here. Um, and it's, well, to me, yeah. it is an it's If you're original. in yeah. HBO Max, the app, you you really don't care. That's the other thing, right? Is uh, like, I don't watch right. HBO anymore. I don't get HBO anymore. I used to get HBO when I had cable, but now I'm just 100% HBO Max. It's like the linear concept is gone. I'm not interested in that. And once you cross that threshold, it totally doesn't matter. Like, I literally, I don't care who originated it. It's all HBO to me, essentially. And that's okay. But like, yeah, so you end up with these fiefdoms inside they're like no 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 it's totally different and it's not to say that the content isn't good and it's not to say that their strategy as you pointed out their strategy to broaden the audience a bit from what hbo uh original provides by programming things that skew a little younger and skew a little more female that's great but in the end it's all you know it's all just inside hbo max I, i would really argue that unless you build something like disney plus where those tiles are front and center saying we have five brands right. inside here. Unless you do right. that, um, y- the app is what it is. It's in the app. And even if you do that, it's sort of not true, and it's really just what app am I in? And and where it really matters, people are going to continue saying this is HBO, it's an HBO show. Like, I think when, so HBO, they've always worried more about being in the cultural zeitgeist, being, you know, the kind of curators of premium television. That hasn't gone away. No one has said at all, in real life or on Twitter, I love that HBO Max original succession. No, (laughs) I love HBO's succession. Like, I love HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. At the same time, no one has ever said, I love that HBO Max original, The Sex Lives of College Girls. They're saying, I like that show that's on HBO Max. And so it, it, the, the the irony about all this conversation um, that happened, and I love talking about it, about like HBO versus HBO Max, you know, FX on Hulu versus FX, is like your consumers are getting it in all place. They're paying for it. It doesn't matter why they're paying for it or what they're paying for at the, in the sense of like, Hulu uh, FX on Hulu versus like FX in general. Um, they're they're signing up and they're going to watch what they're going to watch and they're going to find other shows that are going to be cross promoted. Them you might have someone who watches the Sex Lives of College Girls and then stumbles onto Euphoria and then stumbles back yeah. into Gossip Girl, right? Like that's across your entire spectrum of offerings. And so I think I'm hoping we get to a point where it's not just like oh this 
exclusive show from this one network that exists inside this app uh, is so good. I hope that it just becomes, hey, this show's really great. It's like an HBO thing you can watch on HBO Max or like this FX show is great. It's on Hulu and it's where I watched it. Like, yeah, cool. Well, and I would say this this goes for everybody, too, that in the end, if you're watching a new NBC sitcom on Peacock followed by a, uh, a Peacock original or you're watching like Ghosts or something on Paramount Plus, which is a hot <laughs> new show that's actually from broadcast TV. And then you watch a, a Paramount Plus original like who cares? It's just stuff in this app that you pay for. Like, it really, who cares? Uh, other than the people behind the scenes. But that's it gets back to the whole get over yourself thing where people are like, no, 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 you have to understand our internal structure. And it's like, nobody cares, people. It, it, the, the content is what's in your app, what's on your service. That's all we all care about is what's in there for us to watch. The Qu- Quibi originals are now Roku originals. And this, like, no, no one, one cares. cares. <laughs> like, no one cares. All right. Well, we are going to... Um, leave it there for this episode. Uh, we're going to come back in two weeks with a special letters episode because we went so long today. We're not going to read any letters today, but we're going to be back over our holiday break with a bonus episode where we read some of your letters and we're going to need more letters for 2022. So if you've got a question for us, please email us. It's downstream at relay.fm. You can also go to our show page, uh, relay.fm slash downstream, and click the Contact Us link. You can also tweet at us at Downstream Pod. Love to your mothers. Please send in your letters. We love them. Um, and uh, that's it for this episode. We'll be back in a fortnight with some letters. You can find uh, Julia at Loudmouth Julia on Twitter and, of course, at ParrotAdalytics.com. You can find me at JSnell on Twitter and at SixColors.com and every episode of the show. Again, relay.fm slash downstream. We will be back in a fortnight. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, Julia. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays, Jason. I hope it's relaxing. I hope so, too. Bye.